You know, as I said earlier, we've probably heard this story at some point in our lives, this story of the woman at the well, and it's a really good story. It's an interesting story of Jesus going into a town and having a conversation with a particular woman at a well, but yet there is so much in this story that is oftentimes missed in our own eyes, because we are roughly 2,000 years disconnected from the events that occurred in this moment. So I hope today as we listen to God's word and as we read this, uh, this, this really, the scriptures together, that you will hopefully walk away with a new understanding and appreciation for what Jesus was able to do and really what he still does for us today. So unlike other sermons, what we're going to do on the front end today, because I really want us to have the whole picture in mind, we're going to read the entire passage together. I'll read it aloud to you, and then we're going to work our way through it. I have my work cut out for me because there's 26 verses to get through today, so we'll hover on a few portions um, and, but I encourage you to, to take more time to study this, um, really, throughout this week today would, it would, would be perfect. But John chapter 4, verse 1, I'll, I'll start us off, so just read along silently as I read aloud. <clears throat> now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, listen to this portion that they put in parentheses, because what John is trying to do here is he's trying to show you why this what seemed like a contentious moment. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. More on that later. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you had, would have asked and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right to say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship in is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That's probably a lot to take in. That's a lot of verses, especially maybe for one single sermon, but yet... What is happening here is so important for us to grasp, which is why I think it's good for us to hear the, entire, the entirety of the scriptures on the front end of the message. So to just walk ourselves through what is happening right now, Jesus is heading from where? From Judea back up to Galilee. So to just put that on a map for you, Jesus is heading from Judea, which is on the south side of Israel, and he's going up to where that circle is in red, up to Galilee. Now, Scripture tries to give us some helpful notes in telling us that Jesus goes through what town? through the town of Samaria. But what many of you might not know is that most Jews during this time period would avoid Samaria at all costs. Now, these people in this time period obviously didn't have automobiles, so they most likely had to make many of their travels on foot or through camel or some sort of means like that. And usually journeys were done on foot. So what most people would have to do is they would follow that red line there, which might not seem like a far deviation from the course, but trust me, it is. And I'm sure if any of you have traveled through Israel, you probably know that that is a long way away from where you need to go to try to end up where you need to be. Now, I don't know about you, but when I type in GPS where I want to go, I always pick the fastest route. Unless I have to pay those 470 toll roads, then I'll, I'll suffer through it. But most of the times, I'll pick the fastest route. And I'm sure you guys are the same way. And they wouldn't pick the fastest route. They would pick this long route. And trust me, it wasn't because the roads there were better or it was more of a beautiful journey. 
they would add days and miles and miles and miles onto their journey for one simple reason. They hated the Samaritan people. They hated, discriminated, and despised the Samaritan people so much that they would travel and add on to their journeys and risk the elements just to avoid this entire region. Now, I don't know about you, but that is some staunch discrimination towards an entire people group. Now, the Jews felt entirely justified by this. If you didn't know, there was a big battle between the Samaritan people and the Jewish people, which might sound odd to you because if you know your history, you would know that Samaritans and the Jewish people were really one of the same, that all Samaritan people are, in fact, Israelites, but they're Israelites who ended up marrying people from Syria, and from that... So to speak, in having these 
gospel that Jesus is not very good at keeping the status quo. Whatever the rules are, he's usually doing the opposite. Not because he's trying to live in rebellion, but because oftentimes the status quo isn't always what the Lord is calling us to. Because you see, we get so comfortable in life with what whatever question what normal is in order to see the holes in this situation. So Jesus does something pretty edgy here, and he goes and he sits at the well, and he engages in a conversation with this woman, which at this time period would have been kind of provocative. You see, it was pretty normal in this time period that especially if you were a married person, that especially in these Middle Eastern cultures that typically men and women did not have private conversations with each other unless they were married to each other. But what is Jesus doing here? He's engaging in conversation with this woman because he's trying to do what? He's trying to break barriers. So he has this conversation with this woman. Let's read on. So they're entering into this dialogue together in what is immediately happening. Jesus is simply requesting water because he's thirsty. He wants a drink. He's been on a journey for a while and he's ready to quench his thirst with water. But the woman immediately goes into defensive mode and starts to question Jesus. And really what you see coming out is pent up frustrations and discriminations towards Jesus as a Jew because she does not see Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. But instead, how does she see Jesus? She just sees Jesus in the lens of all of the discriminatory beliefs that she has been raised and she has allowed to live in her heart, in her heart. Now here's the tough question then, right? How do we see people? 
if they aren't the people that they should be. Maybe you know people who are dealing and battling with some literal demons in their own lives. Do you see them as just that? As somebody who is worthless, so to speak, because they can't get their act together? Or do you see them as the people that God loves and wants you can't admit that for yourself, I'm sure your spouse could really quickly. (laughs) But we fail to do, there I come in, we fail to do the things that we know deep down in our hearts are important and healthy for us. A hard question that we need to ask ourselves and one as a church that we're trying to think through is, is, well, what does it even mean to be a disciple of Jesus? If I were to ask you that question right now, I'm sure some of you would get a little nervous. Maybe your answer would be, well, uh, to love God. Yes, that's great, but then what? How are you really a disciple and how do you make disciples? 
It's a question that the elders have been asking ourselves for some time now. And we don't, trust me, we have more that we need to figure out, but it's why we've taken the time to say, okay, as a church here, we're going to think through that question more strategically. Not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of everybody that goes through this congregation. Because we want every single person here to be able to grow and thrive in their faith. It's why we're starting to use this language that we believe every single person in this church needs to make it a point to worship. What does worship mean? To be able to put God first, to allow God to minister to your life and to connect with God in very intentional ways. So one way that we worship is coming to church on Sundays. I think that's essential. Let's face it, guys. If you want to hear Maybe a better message with a more exciting stage and fog machines and lights and all this stuff. You can find that online much quicker. There's much bigger budgets than what we have. Better shows, so to speak. But we come here as a church family because we not only believe that worship matters, but connecting matters with one another. It's why we, we don't need the glitz and glam. We don't need it because what we need more than anything in some ways to, dis, to grow in our discipleship is worshiping God and connecting with each other. I can't tell you how encouraging it is for me at times to know that people love me enough to pray for me or to give me an encouraging word or to try to just be helpful in my life in a time of need. So many of you have been that for me. You've been sounding boards in my life. You've been people that I can call on when times are tough. I just, I mean, I even remember, uh, we're, we're all, my whole family's sick right now, and I was thinking about it this past week, about how last time we had a really bad flu, I called up Adam and Jessica, and they were there in the drop of a hat to rescue our family in this situation. And then, of course, we got all of them sick. <laughs> That's what being in community is about. Hopefully not getting sick, but the mutual helping of each other. Amen? It's why we are encouraging people to not just stop there, but to give intentionally, to give in ways that is an outpouring of yourself. You can do that just, guess what, more than money by serving. It's why serving is a part of our DNA in this church. You know, it might surprise you, but there was a time where, I mean, I guess there was multiple times, but there was probably two distinct times in my life where I was just about ready to give up on ministry. And they both happened pretty early on for me. But I remember the first time, I felt a call to pastoral ministry when I was around 15 or 16 years old. And when I was about 18, 19 years old, I had this opportunity to come on staff at a church. And I remember going to the interview very excited in some ways, but also feeling very empty. So I went to the interview and I talked to the pastor. His name was also Kevin. I think there's an anointing that comes with being named Kevin. That's very special and powerful. So I remember in the middle of this interview, I was doing my best. I'm 
that's the greatest weakness. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. I'm just so good. You know, I just have such a high standard, you know, and doing all the things that all of us do, right? Trying to make a good impression. And I remember just stopping mid-interview, and I just said, Pastor Kevin, I gotta be honest with you. I feel like I'm kind of in a valley right now, and I'm kind of questioning whether or not I even should go into ministry, and I just need to be upfront with you because I feel like that's necessary if you're gonna hire me. As much as I think this would be a great opportunity, I just am kind of really wrestling with this all right now. I walked away from that interview thinking, well, there we go. I messed up my chances. And I got a call the next day. We'd like to offer you the position. What? Why? (laughs) (laughs) And then it all just started to click. It wasn't necessarily that I was, the only reason why I was floundering in my faith, it wasn't because I wasn't praying hard enough. It wasn't because I wasn't going to church hard enough or reading my Bible hard enough. It was because I was missing service time. I was missing the importance that comes in trying to actually be a blessing to people. And I can't tell you enough, and I know some of you know this lesson very well, at how giving of yourself to others oftentimes leaves you fuller than what it was like when you started. And maybe, yes, you could overserve, and some of you could feel weathered by that. But ultimately, service is such an important part of growing in our faith. And I know it was necessary for me. And after having this opportunity to really serve God in church, my life totally changed. And I never had to question, at least in part, whether I was geared for this stuff or not ever again in some ways. I mean, we all have our own self-doubts. But I saw in myself that I, I could do God's work and find joy in it. Well, guess what? Not all of you need to be pastors. If you want to be a pastor, I'd love that. I could use some help up here preaching. (laughs) I'd love that. But all of us are called to be ministers. All of us are called to be ministers. And we are all called to minister in different ways. And if you're not serving, or if it's been a long time since you've served, or you think, you know, maybe I'm too old, or maybe I'm too young, or I don't know the first part of it, Let me free your mind now. We'll figure it out for you. (laughs) We'll figure it out for you. But you need to serve. So often, we miss out what God wants for us. And in some ways, that's the living water that Jesus wants to give. Yet the picture only gets bigger. When Jesus tells this woman... I have these living waters that you'll never be thirsty from again. She says to her, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, why is that line so important? Well, it goes back to a question that I'm about to ask you. What time of day did this woman now, I don't know about you, but what happens at noon? Lunch. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you, 
You're not wrong. You're not wrong. The sun is at typically the highest point, right? We feel the heat. It's hot. We feel the sun beating down upon us, and it's hard to find shade. Well, within their culture and time period, the way that things worked in that time, and even still to today, for any cultures that actually draw from wells on a daily basis, is the women would typically leave their homes in the mornings during the cool of the day to go and draw water at the well. So why is she drawing water in the middle of She should be drawing water in the mornings because she's hiding something. And Jesus brings that out on her. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband What you have just said is quite true. Okay, guys, we all know the divorce rate in America is not good, okay? We all know that that is a tragedy, that people, divorce on demand is not good for anybody. I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances that Scripture says that can call us to be released from situations that are very, 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 very unhealthy. But the way our society has done it, it's done it in a way that is not God-honoring. Well, this culture would have been very strict in divorce. And if any of us today feels like five times, buddy, you're just not good at marriage, stop trying, (laughs) is, is enough. And we feel like five times would be a lot in our culture. Could you imagine what it would have been like in theirs? Well, there lies the mystery. The reason why she was going in midday was because she was ashamed at her own life. That she was worried about what other people thought of her. So isn't it interesting, the minute that Jesus comes into into contact with her life, she puts all her walls up, right? She changes the subject. She makes it about the the things that divide Jews and Samaritans and puts up all of these walls. Because why? Because deep down inside, when she looks in the mirror, she sees somebody that she's not proud of. Haven't we all felt like that? Haven't there been times in your own life where maybe you put on a front or you put up some walls because you don't want people to really know the real you because you're afraid at what they might say? You're afraid that they're going to be that effective little middle schooler that strategically knows that one thing that you don't like and then points it out at you? You know, you're kind of short. I know! (laughs) Why did you say that? Someone can say, you're not that short, Pastor Kevin. I'd appreciate it right now. (laughs) But that's what Jesus does. He breaks the barriers, and he tries to not show us the shame, but allow that shame to be turned into something that changes to dependency and to life with God. You see, you can't drink... You don't really drink unless you know you're thirsty, right? 
I have to remind myself so many times because I don't get thirsty very easily for some weird reason. Kevin, you need to drink water. Kevin, you need to drink water. I say that to myself regularly, and I carry a water bottle just to remind myself. But many of us are living in that spiritual sense where we're so thirsty, and some of us don't even know it. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to break the barriers in our lives so that we can finally have that living water. That water that when we drink it, we just go, ah, and feel so satisfied by him. That's what this Lent season's about. That's what this Easter season is about. It's about coming to terms with our own failures, with the ways that we have fallen short of God's glory, not so that we can feel judged, but so that the things in our lives, the gunk, the discrimination, the hatred, the judgmentalism, the list goes on and on. You know your adjective. So all of that stuff can be truly separated from ourselves and so that we can drink the one thing that can heal us and restore us. Amen? We can't hide from God, but that's a good thing. And Jesus wants to break whatever barriers are in your life. And that's what the work of the Messiah is meant to do. Because all of us, all of us need that work to be done. doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. God is working on you. And if you let him, he can make something even more beautiful out of each and every single one of you today. I have a feeling that this message spoke to some of you. Maybe it convicted you. Maybe you felt like, oh boy, I got some discrimination in my own heart. It might not be over skin color, but maybe it's over X, Y, and Z. I got some issues with hiding from God. I got some issues with putting walls up. I got some issues with not drinking from the well from not taking the opportunities to worship, connect, serve, and give seriously. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I invite you in this moment as we take time to pray, to just lift that up to God. To not allow that shame to feel like condemnation, but rather, as we've talked about multiple times, to allow conviction to turn into repentance, which turns into what? Life. See, godly sorrow leads to regret. I mean, worldly sorrow leads to regret. But godly sorrow always, always leads to repentance in life. So let's go to God together.